Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Dewey, co-founder of Plunge. Born out of an optimistic vision during a challenging time, Plunge was created as a more affordable option for the cold plunge. Ryan and his co-founder, Michael, were fueled by their passion for cold plunging and floating, built their first 20 plunges in a garage, and have since expanded to multiple facilities in Sacramento and worldwide distribution. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Dewey of Plunge. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here, man. Excited for the combo. Yeah. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Yeah, I grew up I grew up in the suburbs of Sacramento, a um, little town called Rockland. I had a pretty, I had like just a kind of middle class up, upbringing, I'd say like very stable home life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of my credit, like, you know, a, a lot of opportunity has been presented to me and it's like, I always, I always go back to like my parents, like my parents always just like instilled love in me from like the day, like first day. So I never really questioned that. And so I've always felt that that's been my like rocket fuel in life. Like just a really like, you know, parents that, that I felt that from day one, I never questioned that. So that's like the most, that's the thing. If you ask like what I have the most gratitude for in this life, it's that right there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has been, been there this whole life. And it, you know, grew up, yeah, very, very uh, same house, consistency growing up in a community, you know, had a lot of friends, sports teams, grew up playing sports, very active in in the community. Um, yeah, and just and then left, uh, you know, as, as in the same house my whole life. So had mm. a lot of consistency. And, um, you know, it's funny, I a, a childhood that I, I cherish and I'm mm. grateful for and I've like gone the opposite route where it's like, I don't yeah. actually want that life for myself now. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like most of us make that call. We either like see our parents' life and we're like, I want that. Or <laughs> we're kind of like, I, for some reason, make the call to like, I love it, but I want to go a different direction. For sure. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that was the childhood <laughs> growing up. Amazing. I'm curious, what were some of your aspirations growing up, um, going through grade school, what did you want to do? Was it differing from your parents at that time? Um, and then when did that transition happen? Yeah, I don't think as a, as a child, I didn't see it very differently. I was just, yeah. you know, I kind of thought I if life is, there's not really a path outside of that. You just go down and, you know, what I wanted to be. I mean, it's funny. Like I, like as a kid, I want to be a garbage man because, which probably says something about me. It's like, they don't, I thought they only worked one day a week because they yeah. picked up the trash one day a week. Um, <laughs> and so that was like, you know, that was like me as a little child, always kind of looking for like, kind of not cut corners, but like, what's the fastest route to do something? Um, and then, you know, I p- grew up playing sports. So of course, like every kid early years, I'm going pro, you know, I'm going pro, yeah. I'm going to be either a pro soccer player, a pro basketball player. And then very quickly, you know, by the time 13 hits, it's like, that's probably not in the cards for myself. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, the, that was my life. I was a sports guy. Like I mm. played on, you know, the regional travel teams, 10 month a year seasons, you know, back to back to back practices and mm. just had that structure. And I think that's where I, I probably learned a lot of like, you know, the concept of hard work, commitment, discipline, um, mm-hmm. you know, improvement, how to improve the, the fail, win, winning, losing. Um, yeah. So sports was kind of my 
my pathway and my, my, my teacher in a lot mm. of different things that I did. For sure. I saw you went on to study at California Polytechnic. Um, what did you end up studying there and did sports play any role on uh, that period as well? Yeah. So I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and I was completely burnt out of soccer, which was my main sport at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. had a chance to go play at a few schools. And I was like, I am done. I don't want to touch a soccer ball and got, which it's funny. I came full circle with that. Totally came back into the sport, but mm. I, I was a no, I was out. So anyways, I went to Cal Poly, not to play, went and uh, it was unique at the time at Cal Poly. You had to uh, apply your major coming out of high school or most schools, you know, you get to go and you're doing the GE and then yeah. you can decide your major. So anyways, Cal Poly was pretty hard for me to get into. Um, I was right on the cusp. So I applied under business agriculture. Um, I had kind of heard that was a way to, it was a, it was a better opportunity to get into the school than just going into the business program. So I did that. Long story short, I couldn't, uh, they ended up switching some policies. I wasn't able to switch over to business. So I ended up with a business, international business agriculture degree, Mm. um, Really, ultimately, it's the same as the business school, except they use uh, chickens and tractors as the uh, and food as the um, as the units, as opposed to, um, you know, whatever business school was doing. So, yeah, I went to Cal Poly, had an incredible, incredible time there, studied abroad, really opened my eyes into, okay, that I think that was like the shift you talk on, like, okay, you know, what did I want to be? It was that going, getting out, getting abroad at the time, which wasn't very common. This is the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and doing that and kind of being like, wow, like I don't have to get a job like right after college ends, which was like yeah. a pretty radical thought for me. It was like the only one of my friend group. And I was like, I'm, what are we doing? Like I'm going back to Spain. So I moved back to Spain after college. Wow. Lived in Madrid for two years teaching English, traveling, really wanted to learn the language. Like I went over with like intention of like, okay, if I'm going to be over here, I'm going to learn. Like, this is what I'm committing to. Yeah. Uh, really threw myself into the, you know, immersion there of knowing the culture, the language. Um, but I think going abroad was the shift for me mm. into like, oh, life, life is not, there are so many patterns and momentum that we are in into our you know, micro cultures to national cultures to all of it. That's just very, we don't really question, or at least I wasn't questioning. And that was the first to be like, oh, like I could go, I could just go travel. And like, that's my life. And I have the choice to do that. That was like a very radical thing for me. So, yeah, uh, you know, that, that, that was a big shift for me. Wow. So what did you end up doing uh, following these two years in Spain then as well? For work, did you kind of come up back to the United States? What was that? Yeah. So the going to Madrid, I went there. I didn't quite know what I wanted to get into in my career, all of it. I was like, I'm going to go travel, learn, just like I said. Mm. Got out there. I got invited to a pickup. So it was like I had a connection to a soccer group out there. And I hadn't played soccer. I'd probably kicked a ball once in the five years before that. Wow. Since I left and I was done, I went out there. And I played and I just fell in love with the sport again. Like, you know, being in Spain, this is 2009. Barcelona's on their uptick. Spain won the World Cup in 2010. I mean, this was the wow. the, the center point of soccer on the planet at that, at that time. And I got I got invited into some pretty high level 
like leagues there and pickup games and everything. I just was playing full time. I was like all mm. in. And then it, and then it hit me like, Oh, like I want to be involved in soccer in the United States. Yeah. Soccer last is this beautiful startup that people were getting into as a growing sport. And I wanted to, I wanted to throw my hat in the ring and I wanted to get involved and be what I felt was the ground floor of like building this juggernaut that I saw our country being able to step into. So yeah. I ended up, um, applying for some programs and and moving back to the United States and ended up getting a job with the San Jose earthquakes and MLS in Northern California, wow. um, super entry level, like, I mean, just like the most inside sales role selling season tickets to people that had shown up, but I was just, whatever I got to do to get into the organization I did. And, and, you know, for sure. Great run sure. there. I love it. So uh, what did that look like? That life change for you, especially that transition coming from living overseas, coming back to the U S um, what were you spending much of your time on as well? Were you focused heavy on the soccer at the time? Were you doing some other ventures? What was that like? I was all in on soccer. I, I was so committed to how do I get into an organization? I mean, yeah, pro sports, it's a, it's a weird world because it's, you're usually totally underpaid, yeah. but it's such a hard job to get into. There's only, you know, 28 basketball teams. There's only 30 soccer teams. There's only, you know, 20 something or 32 hockey teams. It's like, there's a yeah. finite number of companies that you can get access to. And they're all, and they're only in so many cities. So it's a very high, highly competitive space to enter into. So I moved back and I was just like, whatever I got to do to network and market to get my way in. So I, I was really spending, you know, a lot of time on Twitter and forums and just trying to network and connect with people. I was, you know, fly to different, uh, you know, regional meetups that were going on within the, this was all soccer sp specific because I was very committed to that. Yeah. I was just doing everything I could. And I finally got an interview with the Quakes. Wow. Um, and, you know, the rest is history. I got the job there and and had a phenomenal run with them and then got mentored. It was kind of my first run at even being in business, like what that yeah. even looked like. It was kind of a startup. So we wore more hats than maybe just our specific role. Yeah. Uh, ended up getting some great mentors there. Very cool. So following this time, um, what kind of other jobs did you work prior to plunge? I'm curious to kind of see how this transition leads into this as well. Yeah. So prior, so was with the quakes, worked my way up into kind of a, a middle management type position and was on a great trajectory there. Um, mm -hmm. and liked it and really enjoyed it. But then there was, you know, a couple of big life events had happened to me and it, it changed my focus of what I wanted to go after and what my interests were. And, you know, it was in 20, 2014 that I decided to, I'm going to go off and I'm going to start. I got really into float tanks and sensory deprivation mm -hmm. tanks and float therapy and which was a whole new interest of like health and wellness. It was kind of the start of my health and wellness journey. Yeah. Got super into that. And I just, it's like, I'm going to go start my own and open my own location, brick and mortar. Um, so in 2014, I, I, I quit the quakes you know, just confident enough to what I was doing and totally ignorant into what I was actually getting into. Yeah. Um, and, you know, went off and raised some money, opened our first location in Sacramento. Hmm. Um, and that was kind of my entrance into entrepreneurship and owning my own business and, and um, you know, re recognizing the power of that I, I could go create something. I hmm. think that wasn't fully in my... Um, 
in my, I don't want to say belief system. I think I believed it, but I didn't really yeah. view it that way. My parents had the same jobs growing up. Um, yeah. A lot of consistency there. And into like, oh, you can go own or create or build from ground up what I wanted to do. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, so it's who I am. It's what I want to do. It's like couldn't sure. do it any other way. But Capital Floats was my first first run at doing that and jumping off and starting my own thing. I love it. So was this first venture, was this a physical building and they would come to the float tank kind of like a fitter body reset type of situation? Or what was this model like? Yep. Brick and mortar. You book it. We had, you know, a sauna there. We had four float tanks, all private rooms with showers and we had mm -hmm. some other modalities there. And you basically go on the website, you book a spot, like you're booking a massage. You show up, you come in, you get your room, the team, you know, staff sets you up, goes through, and then you, um, you know, memberships, recurring revenue that way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we did that. We had opened a second location in the, in the Sacramento region. So ended up with two locations and, um, you know, and that, that was the real pathway for plunge because yeah. that's how I met my co-founder, Mike and Mike mm. and I have launched plunge together. He owned reboot Flo float and cryo, which was in San Francisco. Okay. In capital float, Sacramento region. He was in the Bay area. Not many people were starting float tank centers and, yeah. you know, we were pretty much the same age, similar interests. And I just saw him from afar. And I was like, I'm going to be his friend. Like we got, like, we got to be friends. Yeah. And, you know, little did we know it was going to, you know, we were, we were seeding what plunge was going to become down, you know, five years down the road. Yeah. Um, so. I love it. So if you can kind of explain the launch of plunge and how you guys came together on this idea, did, did eventually, did you have cold plunges in your brick and mortar as well? Or how did that start? Yeah. So it started. So first like started from a, like we were both really into it. We were cold yeah. plunging. He had built the chest freezer I was going into our local river. I'd actually done a partnership with a local facility that had a cold plunge. So our staff could go there and their staff could come to ours. Anyways, we were like super into it. Mm -hmm. Wasn't really a business thought at all. Yeah. Um, COVID hits 2020. Um, world gets turned upside down. California, our businesses are closed down. Mike sets off on this journey to be he had, he had just happened to go to Sacramento to relocate just for his family. And he was like, I'm going to 3D design a, a cold plunge. Like, I think, you know, with intention of like, maybe we I could sell this and I'm going to go and like build this correctly and yeah. like force this and, and, and do it. And he did it. And it was, you know, I saw him iterating in the garage and he was pitching me on, on getting into business with him on, you know, we, we had built such trust of each other and respect of each other. I was kind of going through, you know, I wanted to get cat floats back open. There were some other life circumstances happening at that time. So I was a little, I wasn't all in yet to be like, yeah, man, let's do this. I'm, I'm ready to do this with you. Yeah. Finally, mid-summer of 2020, so we're about four months into the pandemic. I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. Let's let, I'm in, let's do it. So that we, at that time, he actually put one of the units, first units into one of his reboots. Okay. So it'd go into one of his brick and mortars. Mm -hmm. And what we said we were going to do is like, we'll just email 20 of our, we'll just, we're going to email our customer bases. Yeah. Say, Hey, this is a side project we've been working on during COVID. We've had a little extra time, obviously. We're going to sell 20 of these. Who wants to buy them? We'll hand deliver to your house. Mm. And it, it, it started from there. You know, wow. we, we, we paid in enough to buy 
four cold plunges and then, you know, we sold those four and then we bought eight to build eight and then we sold those eight and then we bought, you know, wow. we've been able to bootstrap the whole company to this date, literally by just creating some lead time and people buy and, you know, now awesome. we've done it at scale and it's, it's gone that way, but it, it really just started there. Like let's build 20 out of his garage <laughs> and we'll figure out that's, that's A to B. Let's yeah. screw what the next steps are. If we could sell 20, then maybe we got something here. And then it's, yeah. you know, just been solving the next problem in front of us. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Ryan's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Our Place, offering a variety of kitchen essentials such as cookware, tableware, kitchen tools, and more. I love the mission behind Our Place. They believe in the power of home cooking to bring people together. Just like entrepreneurship and these stories are uniting us through storytelling, Our Place tells a story through kitchenware, just as your family member may make that favorite dish of yours. So if you're trying to fit that aesthetic or find that functional kitchen piece, I highly recommend Our Place as they have a variety of different colors and kitchen essentials to choose from. In comparison to other brands and products in the kitchen essentials space, Our Place is very affordable and has that aesthetic piece that makes them very premium. So make sure to check them out for yourself at fromourplace.com. That's fromourplace.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. Especially in those early days, um, what did the prototyping process look like after um, the ideation? And also where would you source materials as well? Yeah, it's some really funny like synchronicities there. So yep. of course from a prototyping, you know, that that's Mike. Mike's engine, like we co-CEO um, partnerships, marketing, Mike's product. So he's engineering. Yep. So he was prototyping the unit, which was funny because you know, I came in and the first few units were very garage. Like it, it, I, I didn't have the vision. I didn't yeah. have the vision of what he could iterate. And I was like, dude, I'm not putting my name on that. Like I wouldn't sell that to someone. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was assuming that I had some vision into how a product could iterate. He's like, no, this is like the most beta thing ever. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, over weeks, he, I mean, it was quick. He was moving so fast on that, on the product you know, six, four, probably four, six weeks later, I was like, holy shit. Like, okay. Yeah. Like I, I would be comfortable selling this to a select group of people right now. And we yeah. could go sell 20 of these. I feel this is good. We're going to learn a lot. Let's do that. So we, that was kind of the plan. So the, the engineering just grew, it went pretty quick, but one of the unique things we had was the largest supplier, arguably the largest supplier of freestanding bathtubs in the US, integrated company with China. They have their factory in China and then they have their facility in the US mm -hmm. called Vanity Art. Mm -hmm. They happen to be 20 minutes from Sacramento. Mike was looking, he found them online. He was like, wait, Woodland, California, it's 20 minutes away. We would drive down these people had so the only tubs that fit the prototype, the the specs that we wanted and needed was yeah. in that facility. And they would let us come just buy one-off tubs at like the most wholesale distributor price. And we were these two random dudes that would show up in a van and buy a tub, wow. take it back to his house and build it. Well, long story short, we ended up becoming their biggest purchaser in the United States, like with our company down the road. So wow. at first they were just like, yeah, whatever, dudes. Like, grab a tub, like, take it home. Like, you know, they have thousands there, and yeah. So it's it, that was one of those unique things that I don't know how we would have been able to do it so quickly if we couldn't have gone it. Like, if we were ordered because we were in his garage, we had no place to no no way to store anything. Yeah, the, the the costs were so low, we could just drive his van. We're paying for the gas to go pick it up, and then just the cost of the unit. There was no wow. shipping. There was no anything. 
So it's things like that that were in our favor from early on that we, you know, it allowed us to move at speed and and accelerate the process. Mm, that's amazing. So how, if you can explain to the listeners, how does uh, the, the tub then function? So once you get water in there, what does the system look like from outside the external, just the tub itself? Um, yep. What does that look like? Yeah. So the tub itself, it's uh, it's plumbed, it's drained, it's got all the jets in there. It's all self-contained. So everything's mounted on the side. So you have your filtration, you have your pump, you have your uh, ozone injection, and then there's connectors that the box, the chiller sits right on the side. It connects to the unit mm. and that's what chills the unit. And all you do is you plug it into an outlet and you fill it up with water and it's just self-contained. Mm. And the unit stays filtering. It's always on 24 seven. Um, the chiller only goes on when it goes outside of a range. Like you set it to what you want. And if it goes out of that range, it'll kick on, which is pretty much all the power usage. The rest of the time, it's just actually filtering. So it's just moving the water and it's moving through and it's constantly constantly cleaning. So it's the, the beauty of it. The value prop is, you know, you don't have to build anything. It shows up ready for you. You basically fill it up with water. You plug it in. And, and you're good to go. And it's just cold, clean, on-demand water. Mm. Like, you know, you, it's, yeah. it's there for you whenever you want, very minimal maintenance. Um, and, you know, so it's for those that are like looking to do this consistently. That's, that's the, that's the value problem. For sure. So selling direct to consumer, especially a, a product at this size, how does that look logistically for someone who orders a product? What does that shipping look like for you guys? I mean, that process. Yeah, it's, um, We've learned a lot on shipping logistics. Um, I mean, right now, pretty much 90, 99% of our orders go through FedEx uh, premium white glove delivery. They have a new mm -hmm. LTL select program where we were one of the first companies to really scale in that program in the in the US with them. Um, so anyways, it's for a customer standpoint, what, what it would look like for a customer. You order the plunge, shipping's included, the plunge gets shipped out from our facility through FedEx in their network. FedEx would reach out to Cameron and say, hey, like tubs in your area, let's set up a delivery date. Cool, you set up the delivery date. FedEx will show up with a team of two. They'll mm -hmm. take it out of the box. They'll place it wherever you want and they'll take away all your trash. And then you really just have the, the filling up with the hose and plugging it in set up. It's, I see. It's really what it is. So that, that's kind of the front end, what the customer experience is. So really yeah. smooth, seamless. We want to make, it's a premium product. We want for to sure. make it a premium delivery. So, yeah. um, you know, that that's for, that's the front end. The back end, I mean, we're always, you know, that as a, as a, on our line item on the P&L is, is higher than where we want that to be. Yeah. There are ways that we can get ahead of it, um, you know, from a logistical standpoint into, I mean, the, the big one we want to be doing is warehousing our products in different parts of the country. Mm, for so sure. We know where our big markets are. Uh, yeah. And we go send truckloads out to Austin and have it sit in Austin. And then when it's ordered, it does the final mile delivery out of Austin. Mm. That's what we're working towards to really cut down the price. But yeah, yeah I mean, shipping's been a, we've, uh, I've learned a lot and what not to do. Uh, yeah. I think we're just starting and then figuring out like how to ship a, you know, this is a, it's a, it's a very big, heavy product, um, you know, and it can't have any scratches on it. And, you, yep. you know, shipping freight, you know, from here to 
Austin, it's, it's changing the truck seven to eight, you know, eight times for sure. And, you know, you get someone on a day that's taking it off the truck, trying to get off shift, that thing's getting knocked around. Like it mm. needs to be fully protected. So we've, we've now gotten to a place where I think we have some pretty, pretty badass custom packaging that yeah. fits around it. Um, but that, you know, again, took a lot of learnings. For sure. So do you guys have a 3PL then locally, or do you have an internal warehouse? How does that situation, because I know you want to expand in different regions eventually, but how does that look currently? Yeah. So we we're, you know, we do all the production here. And when I say production, it's mostly assembly. Yeah. A lot of our products come from factories all over the world. Um, but we have a full, you know, we have about 120,000 square feet of warehouse, okay. like massive, which we're doing all assembly line, building the units, um, QCing them, you know, testing everything that goes through and then they get, yeah. uh, you know, shipped out. And so right now, no 3PL, like, you know, I think that's where we're trying to get to is we have some regional, like once yeah. we send the final unit out, they can go and then they'll, they'll final mile it. Yeah. In. So, um, that's a focus of our supply chain and, and shipping team right mm -hmm. now over the next few months Certainly. and kind of cut that down. Certainly. I saw that you uh, you guys were on Shark Tank as well. Uh, kind of going into that, what was that product? What was that process like, especially with a product that is more premium, as you said, and a larger scale than I've seen on the show recently? Yeah, you know, very unique product. No one watching Shark Tank's just you know on a whim going to buy a cold plunge. Um, yeah. I think. I mean, we had a blast. It was just a fun like personal experience for Mike and I. Like we loved felt, you know, grew up watching that show, loved that show, learned a lot from it. So it was just cool to be out there. And yeah. we had a, we had a phenomenal experience with, you know, Sony itself, uh, ABC, all the sharks, great first class experience. Mm. The product, it's crazy. We still see potentially 5% of our sales are some way attributable to Shark Tank. Wow. Uh, it's just, it's one where the reach is massive. Um, you know, you get these re-airs every three to four months. Yeah. So there's always some big spike in traffic. You get X number of people to the site. They enter into our ecosystem. You know, we nurture them correctly. We get, you know, the YouTube video, I think a couple million now of our, of our show that we had with Robert when he got wow. into the plunge. So yeah. there, there's definitely like, you get a lot of SEO rise too. Yeah. Um, you get so, you know, we get, we get so many articles that are written and follow-up articles. Like where is plunge one year after shark tank or, you yeah. know, what is plunge doing today? And there's, there's just a whole, whole community in the shark tank world. That's just subsidiary companies that are that not even subsidiary, but into independently from the show that, that, that market it. So it's been, it was yeah. a huge win. I love it. So, uh, to the listeners out there as well now, um, if you can kind of explain, so someone who's curious about cold plunging in general, what kind of does that do for the physical, mental well-being? What is the benefits of cold plunging for just a typical consumer? Kind of dive into that a little bit. Totally. I think, um, you know, there's truly a, a, a wide array of benefits. And I would say the number one benefit, though, that every single person will get when you do it is the is the mental boost that you receive from it. And what I mean by that, that's gonna be a better mood, increased energy, and what that's doing on the back end, it's it's really raising baseline dopamine levels. Mm -hmm. So it is a phenomenal tool 
not even if it's something that anxiety or depression are like at your forefront, like those aren't huge factors for me, Yeah. but it is a night day difference when I'm plunging and when I'm not Yeah. Uh, from my irritability to just my focus to my drive. So I, I always, that is the number one thing that we see. We see mm. people, people get it for, you know, sports recovery or, um, you know, the people, they get it for one reason. For sure. They all come back to saying, I just feel better mentally. Mm. Uh, I'm more, I'm a better father. I'm a better wife. Like what, like these, these core attributes that come out. So mm-hmm. that's the one I, I focus on. I, I don't think it's, I think it's coming out more as more and more people are starting to plunge consistently. Definitely. Obviously the, the main rub has been more of, you know, recovery, sports recovery, and it helps, it helps you heal quicker and, and inflammation, yep. which are totally true. Um, I just think those are a little less, you're going to get those, but they're a little less impactful on the big picture to me. Yeah. Uh, I lean to that. I think what we also see, we do see people sleep a lot better and Mm. it's really what, what it's doing is it's, it's it's a, it's a, it's a mechanism. It's a workout for your nervous system. So, you know, and the nervous system is, it impacts a lot. It impacts your hormones. It impacts um, you know, sleep, it, it, there, there's so many downstream impacts when a nervous system's out of balance and yeah. cold plunge is just a way to get into a fight or flight method that's safe and controlled and learning how to lower your heart rate in there. So you get yeah. in, it's not like about fighting it. It's how do I, how do I surrender? How do I let go into this experience? And you mm-hmm. just do that practice over and over and over. And it's just a new, new way to train that system. Mm-hmm. Love it. So I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would you say that would be? I mean, the, the regret side, it's like, it's never, I, I don't ever have, have a regret of anything I've ever done. It's always been what I haven't done. For sure. So like that to me, it's the regrets. It's like, <laughs> you know, and and it's not rocket science, but like, man, action cures all problems. Mm. Like whenever there's a problem swirling around, the only way to cure it and get through it is take some level of action. Even if it's like, even if it's not directly solving that problem, like get an action on something. And, you know, and I'm saying that to myself right now, like that is yeah, that constant check-in. That's nothing of mastery for myself, but it's, um, you know, when, when something arises and I'm spinning in my head about it, I don't need to think about it more. Yeah. I usually need to do something about it. And, you know, that's the real game. That's the real level of, you know, high level executors. Can they, can they get out of their head and can they get into action? For sure. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Plunge at plunge.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.